Welcome back to Pandanomics, a series exploring the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the Canadian economy. My name is Stephen Maurice. I'm the editor of Scotiabank Perspectives. Among the many things that have changed over the past 14 months or so is the way we spend money. There's been an explosion of online financial activity from shopping to working to investing in banking and more. And businesses, including banks, have had to adapt quickly. Cons consumers have also had to adapt, and for some demographics and marginalized communities, that's been especially challenging. To talk about these issues and more, I'm joined today by Sean Rose, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Scotiabank. Sean has more than 20 years experience in digital transformation in the UK, the US and Canada. Sean, welcome to Pandemics. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So, Sean, you've been with Scotiabank something like five years now, which might as well be a lifetime when it comes to digital transformation. Can you talk a bit about what your mandate was when you joined, how you saw the role of digital in a big bank like Scotiabank, and how that's evolved since then, at least up until pandemic time? Sure, I'd be happy to. I I can't believe it's been five years, actually. And and you're exactly right. Uh, to some extent, that is that is the the dog years of digital transformation. In the in the early days, I, I think um the the misnomer that that's out there organizationally is that we didn't have the infrastructure needed when when I got here. That really couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, we had the beginnings of a pretty fantastic platform to interact with our customers, um, our colleagues, our shareholders, uh, well in hand. However, I would say that the, many of these platforms were were disjointed. Uh, when I arrived, very few people were using the the primary banking app for for the bank. Most people interacted. Most of our customers interacted with us through the website. And while that's still very important. These last five years have seen the, the trend towards mobile usage go through the roof. Call it 10 to 15% of our bank's traffic went through the app four or five years ago. Now it's pretty close to 50% uh, across all of our countries. And so to be able to stitch all of these disparate platforms or products as they were together into a cohesive platform is, um, you know, I think the key part of the transformation journey. Digitization or digitalization uh, isn't, isn't that hard. Um, but to be able to put all of this together in a way that we can interact with our customers directly, seamlessly, transparently, in close to real time is exceedingly difficult. And so whether it's mobile web or the app or the website, making sure that we have parity from features and products um, and then the um, the point to point uh, elements of it, um, making it so that we can have real time transactions between all of them, uh, is really the whole game. And you know the the customers as well. They you know they've changed. And so while almost thirty percent of our traffic still flows through the website, that that really hasn't changed much over the years. And so um, the form factors and how all of these things interact is is really the the difficult part. And so building on top of what we had started probably 15 years ago at the bank and goes to a much, much older journey, really all the way back to the 1960s. Remember, the you know, banks have been on this technological journey for, for a very long time. This is the, the most recent incarnation of it. And so building on what came before and really stitching together all of these disparate elements into one cohesive point of view for our customers has been has been the name of the game. Now, the first three years 
a bit rocky, uh, Stephen, um, but that was to be expected. I think year four of my time here, heading into really 2019, spring and summer of 2019, was when we broke through and and really kind of put a lot of this together in the last two years, enabled us to be ready for what came next, including this incredible um, pandemic. And by Rocky, do you mean sort of internally and in terms of pulling together the processes and technologies that you you needed to have or Rocky in terms of getting uh, getting the customers on side and sort of adapting to uh, to, to the new technologies, the new products? Great, great question. I, you know, when we started on this, we, we didn't have many of what we refer to as the bank, uh, digital practitioners or the communities of practice all set up, whether that was our design build, um, development ops, uh, security operations, a lot of these communities of practice that were going to need a certain amount of um, maturity organizationally simply weren't in place yet. And so we didn't really know whether we could hire great people at scale. We had some, we had some fantastic people, and they certainly were, were part of this broader technological journey that I spoke of prior. But, but this sort of newer set of skills that we were looking to apply, we didn't know whether we could get the quality, and we didn't know whether we could get that at scale. And lastly, we didn't know whether we would have attrition after doing so. And so to be able to build a sustainable organization, you have to really start with the people. So that, that was round one, getting... Getting that to scale took a while and probably took a year longer than I thought it would. The early days, uh, we were up and down and being able to hold on to our great people. Misset expectations internally, probably by me too. Um, second part of it, I, I think, is also this huge customer transition. When most of the eggs are put in uh, you know, website development, it's a very different set of skills than mobile development. And it's also a very different way of interacting with the software that you're creating. And so, so as the customers were shifting, we also saw a massive need to pivot from what we had in the early days to, to what we have today, which is, I would say, kind of a mobile-first orientation on behalf of our customers because that's where they're looking to transact. And I don't mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't mean sales per se, but... You know, when somebody is very quickly looking to check on their balance because they're uh, because payroll hasn't passed through in a timely manner uh, for the company that they work for, they're going to keep banging on this system until they they actually see that their their money passes through um, all the way to um, whether it's money transfers or um, more sophisticated transactions. I think. I think that, um, you know, that it took us a while to get to a point where we understood where our customers were going and we could meet them there with the technology. And that starts with the people. Yeah, I think we could spend a long time just talking about those first few years and the transformation that took place and the build, building out the digital factories across multiple uh, multiple locations in the, in the bank's footprint. But I do want to, speaking of pivoting, talk about the pivoting that was required a year ago or so, um, you had already put in place a lot of the, you know, the pieces that you need in order to be able to do that. But uh, I imagine that this whole situation came as a shock to you, as it did to everybody else. How did how did the pandemic change your transformation goals, and how did you and your team react to the new demands and priorities that were hitting so quickly? Well, it's come in waves, hasn't it? 
And so the, 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 the first wave of this was, um, I don't, there was a little bit of euphoria. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but we really felt up against it, both in terms of our employees needing to leave the building uh, and the immediate support requirements around relief efforts on behalf of our customers. Um, everybody was working seven days a week, call it 10, 12, many more hours than that on occasion. Um, that took a, you know, that took a, 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 a bit of effort to transition, but it was also really exciting. And um, what we did first, I would say, is we pivoted towards relief efforts. And how do we get the tools in the hands of every single one of our customers in all of our countries to be able to respond um, to their individual financial concerns, whether that, that was delaying the payment of, of a credit card or a mortgage or a car loan, uh, didn't matter. Um, we had to find a way to reach out to our customers without what we typically would do, which is through an uh, omni-channel experience, whether that's call center, call center volumes were spiking, whether that was directly at the branches, obviously people in most of our countries couldn't just drop into a branch if they couldn't get through the call center. And then lastly, you know, uh, there's a orientation that you use uh, for the good times around the way that you publish content. But when we immediately went into the relief efforts, we also had to pivot the way that we talked to our customer. And so that was really kind of in two groups in sort of course, um, uh, kind of a coarsely, I would say two, two groups. Uh, the, the first is the people that understood very well and um, what they needed to do with their financial situation. They, they understood how to use the tools. They understood how to delay the services and they understood what the outcome was. That's, um, those are the easy ones. What was a bit surprising in the early days, Stephen, was that many of the people that were most impacted and most vulnerable were worried about interacting with these systems. And so what we were seeing is that, that folks that were most severely impacted were coming to the site, were coming to the app multiple times with no conclusion. They would bounce. And we had to figure out a way to be able to reach out to those people directly through analytics, uh, through our tools and the, and the systems that we use, through call center, <laughs> through calling people directly if we had their phone number or emailing them if, if, if we were fortunate enough to have, have their email, but to, to reach out to them and make sure that they understood that, for instance, their credit wasn't going to be impacted by picking up one of these relief efforts. You think it's about the technology, but the reality is that it's the interaction and the, and the fear of the unknown compounded by maybe less sophistication with the use of the tools. And so we spent a solid three months right at the beginning making sure that we reached out to each and every person that we were seeing coming into the site that wasn't com um, completing a transaction where it looked like we understood that they needed help. And that was a whole team effort, by the way, that wasn't uh, far from just the, the digital team. That was everybody in all of our countries across all of our services and channels, but digital played a, played a solid role there. And what kind of reaction did you get from customers? If you had a person who, as you said, went in, started to 
try and conduct some kind of business or transaction and bounced, as you say, because for whatever reason, they're intimidated by the technology or whatever. And then you guys get in touch with them subsequently because you're able to track those things. What kind of reactions do you get from customers on that kind of follow-up? By and large, just total relief on two fronts. First, it was sort of the embarrassment that that people didn't understand that they can use this without any harm being done to them. Um, that that was one part of it. But, it. but also the speed in which our bank in particular responded to the crisis. Um, it, it wasn't a competition with the other banks, but we got out in front of it. In almost every area, we were the first to respond all, to our customers. And we heard that across the board. We heard that from our peers in the industry. We heard that from our peers here in Canada. Uh, and we heard it from, um, you know, banking association colleagues and uh, the government. And and so it was, it was two fronts. It was the relief of, of getting these tools in their hands, both the technological as well as the relief um, tools to be able to delay payments. But it was also really just as importantly, the speed in which we did it. And so people were thrilled. It was so worrisome. I mean, it's funny being a year and change now into this. We were all so worried. I, it's a different worry now, isn't it? Um, but at the time, it was like, oh, my God, there was a real existential sort of dread. And uh, is, am I going to be able to do the things that I did before with my job? Am I going to be able to be gainfully employed? What's the function of a, of a bank's interaction with that? And we functioned really as a services and relief organization and our business leadership did a heck of a job making sure that we stayed focused on that. And those kinds of interactions with the customers must have given you significant insights into issues of accessibility and understanding and digital maturity on the part of, uh, on the part of various customers, accessibility is a top concern for you in the bank. I know that. Um, where does that fit into your priorities now? And has that been affected by what's happened over the past year with COVID? Well, you know, we started the, we started the journey on accessibility, um, you know, probably, you know, we've had a team for the duration of my time here led by an amazing woman named Monica Ackerman, who rolls up into our design community of practice with Pamela Hilborn. And, you know, I, I became aware of the constraints of a lot of our systems related to accessibility probably right about as soon as I joined. Before that, it was always a technology issue for me. Swipe right, haptic feedback, right? How do the tools work? How does your hardware work with that? But Monica in particular and, and Pamela and our, and our teams when we started replatforming our mobile application, which was formerly called Kony, now many people know it as, as Nova, it was really accessibility at, at, uh, at the center. And that also then is part of our design build orientation of constructing software really became the starting point of every single thing that we do. And it's designed for everyone, right? There, there are constraints that some of our customers have and some of our employer employees have around their sight or their hearing that being able to efficiently utilize the tools um, in your hands or in your headset or at your fingertips um, very efficiently is really it's good for everyone isn't it and and but I, I don't know that I saw things that way 
at, at the beginning of our journey. And so the first part of it is very fortunate that we have an amazing team that focuses on that. I looked at it through, wow, this is really lovely design. <laughs> and with this at the center, um, uh, it, it's really the the driving force of how we build our software. And remember, this isn't just in Canada. Through our Canvas de design system, which is really design as code, what we've been able to do through, um, you know, kind of an ampli amplification model is to build once and deploy, deploy many times and to get um, accessible product in the hands of all of our customers at this point, really, in all of our countries. And that is a fast maturing practice, but it, but it was very purposeful. So it's, you know, multi-year journey, um, really the prioritization of some amazing people that know its importance, but really most importantly, Stephen, it's that it's for everyone and, and you can meet the regulatory requirements for sure, but it, it makes for fantastic design and it makes it so that even people that are relatively new to the tools that we're putting in their hands, you know, you get a brand new phone that you don't know how it works. How great is it that when you open up the application that it is intuitive and that it's quick, you can predict it and you can get on with your day and have the confidence that despite not knowing very much about the software you were just interacting with, that the accessibility functions allowed you to do what you were trying to do, do what you were intending to do with your time. It's pretty awesome. And I guess, you know, the term accessibility takes a whole bunch of different forms. You talked, I guess, mostly a bit about people who might have uh, physical or other limitations that have to be taken into account in designing, uh, designing your products. But then there's, you know, there's, you know, age might be a factor or, or a different type of accessibility where maybe people can't afford, you know, you and I talked about this before and not everybody can afford a thousand dollar phone. So like, that's a, that's a different form of accessibility. Uh, is that something that you think about as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no question. Um, you know, it's, I went to the annual general meeting in my first year here. And one of the things that came up over and over and over again is men and women, uh, about my age now, uh, my eyesight just started failing. There were three, <laughs> there were three or four uh, of our amazing shareholders who got up and said, "Hey, what is going on with these printed materials? This is an eye eye test, and and it's not going well, and and the webs aren't websites aren't any better." And, and so issues both big and small with accessibility certainly, certainly impact, impact our customers as they age. I'm, I'm going through that myself. And so having a tool set that, again, intuitively allows you to meet the needs of your customers on their life journey, um, and, and that includes aging is one of them. You know, one, one part of this too is con constructing the site for people that are colorblind. Um, to be able to make sure that, you know, our, uh, that, that the type can be expanded and still fits within the form factor. Uh, the phones keep getting bigger and smaller. <laughs> you, know, hey, you look at the Apple website today, or you look at, at, you know, Google with the pixel and the 5g systems today, it's there's this, wow, that thing is huge or it's, or it's a clamshell sort of approach with two screens. And then, and then they're also going old school. Well, 
we have to build these tools to adapt to that form factor, right? And the phone is a subset in terms of the size and real estate of um, the tablets that we use. And, and certainly for a few of us, the large screens or double screens that, that we have at home with our development situations. And so to be able to have something that adapts to the needs of our customers um, is that accessibility issue. It touches, it touches many of us. There, there's also some accessibility issues around, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the most vulnerable um, people that we have uh, in uh, our, our customers and cash, right? Um, cash businesses, how do we, how do we interact with our customers at ABM or ATMs um, with the software there for, for people that are cash transacting? Right. And how do we have some some of those similar tools uh, available with a limited screen at at a individual branch in one of our countries or, or in Toronto? And so we think through the accessibility angle on almost everything. Um, and so it's not just not just the the iPad setup, which is kind of ideal or the or the home setup with with some, you know, 17 inch you know, laptop monitor. It's, it's how somebody is going to interact with our software, even if they're bringing cash into a branch. And, um, and so it touches, touches most of our customers, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. In one way or another, you talked briefly, you mentioned, you know, all the different markets that the bank is in and Mm -hmm. about creating a product once and then uh, executing on it a number of times, but how, how important is it in understanding local situations, local culture, regional culture, as you're thinking about and developing new products and, and processes, how do you, how do you account for that? Oh, it's, it's critical. You know, I, I, if I have brought it up a couple of times, I, I might also be overstating the build once, uh, deploy many times. Um, really what it is, is, um, having the vast majority of the tools, which I think are global, be nearly perfect and reusable. But localization and personalization for individual countries or or, or systems and tools is, is just as important. And um, there are a bunch of examples of that. You know, Peru is one that I, that I talk about pretty frequently because despite an enormously sophisticated um, customer base and population there, smartphone adoption is, is relatively low compared to Chile or to um, Canada. And so how do we make a tool that really can't be utilized um, uh, across the board by even a clear majority of our customers there? And so when we build out this software, we really have to make it so that it's adaptive to a local environment and it can be deeply personalized. And so our tool set there, which is run by by our, our fabulous um, uh, Peru team, it's called Joy, and 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 Joy is Joy is the app, and it is, it's very similar in the ways that you would want to to see with the the apps. Maybe from a business perspective, there's a strong similarity, um, but there's a lot of personalization too. One of the examples then in in the context of of Peru that we had to build out and really think through and make quite different is that. Um, 
intra-bank transfers were critical for uh, the Peruvian people. And so we partnered uh, with three of the four largest banks in Peru at the beginning of the pandemic to make it easier to do easier and free to transfer money to between banks served a bunch of different purposes. Part of that was to get cash out of the hands of our citizens in Peru in the middle of a lockdown, an informal economy with people hitting the streets when it's critically important that they stay home. We had to actually put that into the software. And what that was to solve was to do transfers with nothing more than the equivalency of a cell phone number rather than, I think, a 20-digit number that nobody could remember was buried in the forms and everything else. And so there are as many examples of deep personalization country by country by each of our teams as there are reusing these elements. But on things like accessibility and design and how we interact with some of the critical tools, we try to reuse as much of that as possible. And so I don't wanna say that it's an 80-20 rule, but it certainly is. It certainly is 50-50. Uh, any one of our teams, um, doesn't matter whether it's an individual country in Central America or kind of a, a broader kind of team in one of our Pacific Alliance countries, the, the form is very similar. You would recognize the vast majority of the work in each of the countries as distinctly Scotiabank. Hmm. Okay, I just have one more question for you. And uh, I guess, you know, some of your job, I guess, is being predicting what's going to happen next, even though things mm -hmm. change so so frequently in in the digital space. But I guess you have to be looking out as far as you can. I mean, iteration is part of your job as well, but you also, have, I assume, have to be looking uh, a little bit further down the road. What, what's your vision of a you know of a bank or a digital focused bank, say five years from now? What, what does that look like? What's going to change? What can people expect? Well, I think mostly about security and identity. How do we interact with our customers in a way that, and, and this, this helps us with KYC and AML and all sorts of other things, right? But how do we interact with our customers where, you know, let's say five years ago, five years from now, we understand who you are and where you are at with 100% with precision. And we have tools that we can enable you as our customer um, to participate with our financial systems in a perfectly secure manner. And that we can de-risk these interactions down to the, the bytes being transferred between an individual transaction, whether that's point-to-point -point encryption um, with some of the some of the changes that are happening with the, the spectrum with 5G, whether the phones that we're developing, um, but really just making sure that we can know um, much more about this relationship between ourselves as a bank and our individual customers and the security that we can put in their hands. I think that there's plenty of room for the banks that can do that well to do more bank-like things in the future. I, I don't think we have to become the fintechs. I think we have to emulate what they do well and we can fast follow. But let's do bank stuff really well. Let's do bank stuff better than any other bank in the world. 
And I think that that starts with security and identity and, and flows through what we're all seeing in the, in the news every day with, with those large technology companies that maybe haven't paid as close attention to this as they should have. And so um, that's really what I'm thinking about. And I think that that's probably a, a relief to, to our customers. So it's, it's, I really look at this through the lens of being a better bank and an even better bank. And if we can make sure that security and identity management are bulletproof, that'd be a great start. Yeah, I guess that it comes down to trust, really, I guess, with an organization like a bank. I love that. I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking about it before. I'd kind of forgotten about this, Stephen. But, um, you know, when we talk to our customers about the, the invite, and we do this directly, by the way, through calls or through feedback that we get through the App Store and everything else. And we hear the same thing over and over again. Man, I like or love this app, which is this narrow but deep thing, right? It could be Uber, it could be any number of tools that you have on your phone or that you utilize at home. But I trust my bank. Yeah, for sure. And you have to. And that's like, you know, a bank lives or dies on that is uh, the trust of its customers. And they don't even necessarily need or want to know about all of the details of the way you're making sure that their money is safe. But they do have to know that that's front of mind for you in everything you do. Yeah, big time. We do that. We do that really well already. But five years from now, I think we're going to take a big step forward uh, in the industry with the technology in partnership with um, the equipment manufacturers to ensure that they're even safer and that their transactions can be done even faster and that we can have that relationship between our customer and, um, and our bank just that much closer. And you play, it's, it must be a very cool role that, uh, that you play sort of at this intersection of, you know, sort of what people might think of as a state old institution that a bank is, but then also at the cutting edge of, uh, of, you know, the latest technology and ensuring people are safe and, and all of that. It must be, it must be fun. I, I, I love it. And, you know, I've said this a couple of times in the past, but, um, you know, there are only a few industries that, that you can have this kind of impact. Um, on your customers and your customers can have on you as an institution. And banking is one of them. Education, healthcare, government, not that many. And th this is one of them. And so the, the work, um, the work is um, extremely gratifying, satisfying. And um, I just hope we can keep doing better for our customers and for the bank. It's a great place. For sure. Sean, I really want to thank you for uh, joining me today. It's been super interesting. I think we could have gone on uh, quite a bit longer, but uh, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll leave it there. But I really appreciate you uh, coming on Pananomics. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Hopefully I can come back soon. I've been speaking with Sean Rose, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Scotiabank. Thanks for listening to Pananomics. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Take care.